So today we have one of those days where nothing is like, like it was planned, pretty much. Um, we used to do that a lot. I remember 14 or 15 years ago, um, near the time when I first started coming here, um, people just jumped and pitched in. It was like Andy Rooney, let's have a play, if you remember those old Andy Rooney, Andy Rooney movies. Um, yes. And so uh, anyway, it felt a little like that today, and so it reminded me of our little group of about 14 or 15 people uh, that we're meeting here that, that has grown into a larger number. Uh, and so anyway, uh, I am not Dr. Uh, Reverend Dr. Michelle Peterson, who was scheduled to be here today, and so uh, you get to listen to me talk about New Year's. Uh, the title of the sermon is about New Year's resolutions, but really I think the talk is really more about the inherent worth and dignity of every person uh, with a little bit of information uh, about um, New Year's kind of thrown in there. So here goes. Uh, looks like we all survived the stress of recent weeks. I realize, of course, that some of you loved every minute of December. Others probably felt the stress of too much, too much of the seasons at the end of the year, too many advertisements, too much shopping, too much food, too much family, too much busyness, too much activity. Um, and of course, this year, we also had too much stress of all kinds of continuing things like gun violence, the war in the Middle East, political upheaval, and well, just too much tragedy. And it's almost January, so maybe we can breathe now. Maybe we can just enjoy the next week and the beginning of the year. But no, wait, that's not right. Now we have the stress of the reflection of the year of 2023 and all those endless uh, TV news videos, mostly of the sad occasions of the year that was. And we have the stress of the new year. Are we putting pressure on ourselves already for 2024? Will we make resolutions for the year? Some people happily develop a list of things to do better every year. Some people don't like that concept of making resolutions at all, so they avoid the topic altogether. Here are a couple of quotes about making resolutions, some positive and some negative. We will open the book. Its pages are blank. We're going to put words on them ourselves. The book is called Opportunity, and its first chapter is New Year's Day. Edith Lovejoy Pierce. Uh, John Burroughs said, one resolution I have made and try always to keep is this, to rise above the little things. Here's another one. Cheers to a new year and another chance to get it, for us to get it right, Oprah Winfrey. And from the wisdom of Mark Twain, New Year's Day, now is the accepted time to make your regular annual good resolutions. Next week you can begin paving hell with them as usual. <laughs> And finally, a quote from F.M. Knowles. He who breaks a resolution is a weakling. He who makes one is a fool. Anyway, the quotes illustrate both the importance of New Year's resolutions to some people and the disdain for them by others. My plan for today is to tell you a little bit about New Year's Day traditions. According to Gary Ryan Blair, a consultant and expert on goal setting, the celebration of New Year's is one of the oldest of all the holidays. It was first observed in Babylon about 4,000 years ago. In the years around 2000 BCE, the Babylonians celebrated the beginning of the year during the month of March. This timing for New Year's celebrations makes lots of sense due to the spring, planting, the new growth during that time of the year. There is no astronomical or agricultural significance to January, um, January 1st being celebrated as New Year's. That date is just completely arbitrary. 
The Romans celebrated their new year on March 25th, but the date changed routinely, regularly, due to the wishes of various emperors. In 153 BCE, the Roman Senate declared that January 1 would be the beginning of the new year, but emperors continued to change the date. According to Blair, it was not until 46 BCE when Julius Caesar established what we call the Julian calendar. Caesar established January 1 as the new year. However, in order to synchronize the calendar with the sun, Caesar had to let the previous year drag on for 445 days. Guess I thought some years I lived through seemed long, but that one may be longer. Yeah. Yes. Uh, let's talk for a minute about Janus. Janus was the god of new beginnings. In the mythology of early Rome, this god had two faces. Janus could look back on past events and forward to the future. Janus became the ancient symbol for resolutions and many Romans looked for forgiveness from their enemies and also exchanged gifts before the beginning of each new year. According to Patty Wigington, because of his ability to see both backward and forward, Janus is associated with the powers of prophecy. He's sometimes connected with the sun and the moon in his aspect as a dual-headed god. The jewel-faced image of Janus could be found on most city gates in many and in many Roman coins. Given his role as guardian of the gates, his position as the god of beginnings, and the esteem of having the first month of the year named in his honor, it is apparent that Janus played a significant role in Roman myth and religion. He was invoked at the start of each new day and often referred to as the porter of heaven. He particularly resided over all that is double-edged in life. <clears throat> this very long history of New Year's celebrations is probably the reason that so many cultures make this holiday a big deal. Let me give you some examples of some more recent traditions, uh, at least more recent than BCE, that are related to New Year. There is an old Sicilian tradition that says, good luck will come to people who eat lasagna on New Year's Day. But eating any other noodle will bring bad luck. In Spain, at midnight, citizens eat 12 grapes, one for every toll of the bell. Eating these grapes will bring good luck in each month of the new year. Japanese tradition says that homes should be decorated in tribute to luck gods. Using a bamboo stalk in the decoration symbolizes prosperity. In China at the new year, front doors of homes get a new coat of red paint. This is a symbol of good luck and happiness. In addition, knives are put away for the day to ensure the family's good luck for the next year. If you cut yourself with a knife, this foretells bad luck for the year. As you know, of course, the Chinese New Year is not celebrated on January 1. Uh, it's going to be on February 10 in 2024. The tradition in the U.S. is a kiss shared with a loved one at the stroke of midnight. Of course, there are New Year's Eve parties. There's the New Year's Eve rose Rose Parade, the football game, gathering of crowds to count down the New Year. New Year's Eve celebrations have become commercialized worldwide. I'll just list a few of them. There's the Waterford Crystal Ball Drop that's in Times Square in New York City, the Peach Drop in Atlanta, there's a 600-pound electric moon pie drop in Mobile. That sounds interesting. And then, uh, and then of course, the Music Note Drop in Nashville where there's typically more than 250,000 people who, who show up for that. Now, for another New Year's Day celebration, food. In the South, I've always known that I should eat black-eyed peas on New Year's Day for good luck. 
The tradition dates back to the Civil War. According to Sheridan Alexander, black-eyed peas were first planted as food for livestock, and they later became a food staple for enslaved people in the South. Guess what remained when the fields were decimated by Civil War battles? Well, it was black-eyed peas. So these peas became a major food source for all the hungry citizens, and they helped people survive. Isn't that interesting that a food that was thought to be not worth much is now seen as a food that brings hope and prosperity? I think I'll have some black-eyed peas this January 1st, and when I eat them, I'll wish prosperity and good luck on all people, especially those who've been disadvantaged and mistreated in society. Now, if you want to step up the black-eyed pea ritual, you can add cornbread to the meal. That represents gold. Or you can add mustard greens or collard greens to the meal to represent paper money, or add stewed tomatoes to the black-eyed peas, and this represents health and wealth. Um, I have a grocery list in my pocket that will include all of those things, which I will purchase after church for tomorrow. Um, what about New Year's resolutions? My research shows that people who make resolutions make them about some dissatisfaction about themselves, some improvement that they want to make. For example, most resolutions are about exercising more, or losing weight, or eating right. Here are a couple of resolutions that I expect were made by people who don't like resolutions much. Um, I will do actual work at home on my telecommuting days. Resolution. Or, I will enjoy the sweet side of life, M&M's, Hershey's, and cheesecake. Or, I will not sit at the computer all day on Facebook. I will stand for at least 30 minutes while I'm on Facebook all day. So. More than half of us make resolutions every year. Some think very deliberately about our resolutions and others are more casual. Our resolutions are typically about our health, how we want to spend our time, the kind of person we want to become. If you decide to make some resolutions, here's some suggestions. Don't make too many resolutions. Three or four is enough. Don't make the resolutions too difficult. You set yourself up, up to fail before you begin. So set incremental goals if you have resolutions. Don't be too hard on yourself if you don't follow through 100% of the time. Consider making resolutions about satisfactions you want in your life and not about dissatisfactions. Now, for the most part, what we know is that people break their New Year's resolutions. Um, I've read that by the spring of each year, 90% of people have broken their resolutions. Now, maybe this is not necessarily a bad thing. It's really not natural for us to follow through all the time. We're not perfect. We usually make resolutions that are too hard, so we set ourselves up to fail. The gyms fill up in January, and they're mostly vacant by March. We eat our veggies, and then we see our favorite pie, and we must have a slice. And it actually takes 21 days to build a habit. So expect to break a resolution and then have to start over. If you can get through the 21 days, then maybe you've built a habit that might stick. For myself, I don't always make resolutions on January 1st. Uh, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. When I do, I'll make three or four. I'll try to track um, whether I'm following them or not. And I guess my track record is pretty good, but maybe not so great. Uh, my resolutions have typically been about being more healthy or about doing things to be more helpful to other people. It occurred to me while I was working on this talk that if I make, can make one resolution and it's a really good one, it can serve lots of purposes and may be relevant for several years. And if I can get better with just the one, then many other resolutions I might have considered will be achieved also. So is it possible to just make one really good one that can cover a whole lot of things? 
Um, I think I have a resolution that might work. Um, you heard this resolution in the meditation earlier. Uh, the reading said, let us notice that what remains each year, each day is a spirit of life and love. So here's what I think a resolution is. Um, it's to love people. And I guess that's a no-brainer for you use because, you know, we've been called the love people because we show up for social justice activities wearing those yellow shirts that say love. Um, this means we love others, but we also love ourselves. Um, so there's a lot of talk about love and Unitarian Universalism. So let's just explore this idea for a few minutes. It really seems kind of simple. If I can love people just how they are, I can find joy in life. I'll take some time to have some fun. Uh, I'll learn some new things. I want to take better care of myself. Um, if I love myself, is, that's important. There's so many accomplishments that I can make for myself in one resolution. Um, it's easy. One resolution is needed. So I don't really have to think about it every year. I've already got my resolution. So easier said than done, though. Love people. I've been really working on this one for a while, and I expect I'll always be working on it. I also realize the logic of this resolution breaks down really, really quickly. And you've probably already thought of all the problems with the resolution. Here's some examples uh, to show the resolution makes more sense in some cases than in others. There's that very slow driver in the car in front of me. Love people. Okay, I can do that. Just take a deep breath. Happened on the way to church this morning. There's a person who said something unkind and untrue about a family member or a friend. Love people. Okay, I can do that, but I might feel compelled to explain that untruth. There's a person who hurt me. Love people. Okay, I'm going to have to work on that one. I can do it. Uh, at least I can wish that person well if I can't keep them in my day-to-day -day life. In this case, my love people means that I'm going to want good things for that person. Then there's a person who did something horrific, despicable. Love people. Uh, I don't know about that one. I'm not so sure. Uh, there's been horrific gun violence this year. There was a man who pushed a woman onto the tracks of an oncoming subway in New York a few months ago. There was a homeless person who was killed by a teenager in California. Listen to this story about turtles. It says a little something about our society these days. It's a little sad and scary. Nathan Weaver, a Clemson University student, worked on a project to figure out how to help turtles cross the road. The population of turtles suffers significantly each year because a trip across a two-lane road takes eight to 10 minutes. As part of his research, Weaver put a realistic rubber turtle in the middle of a lane on a busy road near campus to see how drivers would react to the turtle. So no turtles were harmed in this story. Uh, he assumed that the people would care enough to drive around the turtle. So he got out of the way and he watched over the next hour as seven drivers swerved <laughs> and deliberately ran over the turtle. Several more drivers tried to hit the turtle but missed. Have we lost the capacity to care about something other than ourselves? Have we lost empathy? Back to this resolution again. Love people. When people do despicable things to hurt others, it's hard to love them. When people mistreat someone who's perceived as different in some way, it's hard to love them. When people are in need and others trample their rights, it's hard to love those people who do that. When people try to break down something good, it's hard to love those people. Clearly the logic to love people breaks down when someone does horrific and horrible things to others. 
In most other situations, such as the examples I mentioned earlier, I can make this resolution work. Let's think about, for a minute, these people who must not be named. Well, you know that phrase. It's a reference to Lord Voldemort from the Harry Potter series. Author J.K. Rowling described Voldemort as the most evil wizard for hundreds and hundreds of years. She established him as a ruthless and intelligent dark wizard. Almost no witch or wizard dares to speak Voldemort's name. They refer to him as he who must not be named or the Dark Lord. Okay, so it's a little dramatic. But we all know of Lord Voldemort types who are difficult to love and care about. These people are more likely to be people we may read about in the news and we may not know personally, but it's possible that we have a person like this uh, in our lives. So am I saying that I should love these people who must not be named? Well, I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. There are some despicable people who seem to have no redeeming qualities. Who are the individuals or groups of people that are your people who must not be named? Those persons it's impossible or difficult to love. There are people we may not be able to forgive for something awful they did. We don't have to condone their actions. Maybe we don't even have to wish them well. How I think about these Lord Baltimore sorts of people is more about what type of person I am than it is about that person. This is the inherent worth and dignity issue. You know that's our first principle that says we affirm and promote the worth and dignity of every person. Listen to what Bill Schultz says about inherent worth and dignity. You may know that Dr. Schultz is a UU minister. He's a past president of the UUA. He's a past executive director of Amnesty International and he's president emeritus of the UU Service Committee. Dr. Schultz wrote an article in UU World a few years ago that was mostly about the torture he encountered during his time at Amnesty International. But he used the death penalty to explain his beliefs about the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Here's what he said. He said, I suspect that we as UUs base our belief in the inherent worth of human beings on some vague notion that aliveness itself is good and that because human beings represent the pinnacle of aliveness, we inherently possess some kind of merit. Schultz said, I don't buy that anymore. He said, I have fought tirelessly against the death penalty in this country. I have visited death rows and spoken frequently with condemned prisoners. He said, some of them have acknowledged their crimes and they've altered their hearts. He said, others are truly innocent. He said, many are mentally ill. Some are vicious and dangerous killers who would kill again if they were given the opportunity. He said, I oppose the death penalty not because I believe that every one of these lives carries inherent worth. In some cases, their deaths would be no loss to anyone. He said, I oppose the death penalty because I can't be sure which of them falls into which category. And because the use of executions by the state diminishes my own dignity and that of every other citizen in whose name it is enforced. In other words, he said, I need to assign the occupants of death row um, worth and dignity in order to preserve my own. He said, I don't really find any such characteristics inherent in either them or me. And he asked this question, is it worth, is the worth and dignity of every person inherent? He says no, he thinks inherency is a construct, it's a useful myth perhaps, but a myth nonetheless designed to cover up the fact that we all are sinners and that not always and are not always certain which sins, and hence which sinners are worse than others. 
He said, each of us has to be assigned worth. It does not come automatically and taught to behave with dignity. So <clears throat> this got me thinking a bit and maybe thinking about this uh, worth and dignity issue. Um, love people fits here. Um, am I reducing my value as a person when I allow myself to be treated in a negative way? Do I discount my worth and dignity when I'm unkind to others, even when they're unkind to me first? Both seem to take a toll on my own worth and dignity. When I can let go of the anger, the hurt feelings, the resentment, here's what I'm finding. When I can do this, I'm less stressed, I'm happier, other people around me are happier, and I love people more. So let's think for a minute what would happen if we begin every day by saying we, we're just going to love people. If someone drives too slowly, I'm going to think love, not impatience. If someone talks too long when I have work to do, I'm going to think compassion. When I feel mistreated, I'm going to think forgiveness. I think taking on this mindset every day is hard, and I'm always going to fail at it, but I'm going to get better at it if I keep trying. And yes, sometimes I will assign dignity to someone else in order to preserve my own worth and dignity because loving that person just cannot apply. Note that I'm not saying I should suffer abuse of others and just love people. My worth and dignity is important too. Can I love people in this larger sense if I have not learned to love myself? If I approach the coming year by loving people, I think this is the result. I think I'll become a better person, a stronger person. I think I will, I, I will learn to think and not make snap judgments so much about others. I think I'll take a more positive direction in my actions. I think I'll take care of myself more. Uh, and maybe I'll build a good habit and a good way of living. So what about those other six principles that we talk about? Justice and compassion, free and responsible for search for truth and meaning, accepting others and encouraging spiritual growth, right of conscience and the use of the democratic process, the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all, respect for the interdependent web of all existence. I think about, if we think about each principle, I think there's an element of loving others and the concept of worth and dignity that helps us carry out those principles. Quickly, one more New Year's tradition, the fire communion. On or near the first Sunday in January, Many Unitarian Universalist congregations hold a ritual to bid farewell to the old year and to release it. In the words of Reverend Elizabeth Harding, the fire communion separates the end of the year from the beginning, helping us to put in perspective the joys and sorrows, the changes, the transitions, the ups, the downs of the year. It's a halfway point in the church year, but it's a celebration of the outside calendar's year's end and year's beginning. In a ceremony of the burning bowl, people are invited to write down words or a phrase to someone what they wish to release before entering the new year. Then they come forward to burn that piece of paper. So if we go back to that loving people idea and the inherent worth and dignity of every person, uh, you know, maybe that's something we can write on our piece of paper uh, that we burn to try to live more uh, intentionally and thinking more about loving and caring for other people and how that really helps us preserve our own worth and dignity. So. As we've seen and as we know, January is a time for new beginnings. We have several options for accepting this clean slate year. We can eat our black-eyed peas to remember people who are oppressed and wish them prosperity. 
We can wish prosperity for ourselves. We can make resolutions if we want, or we can just work on that one to love people. Um, this may mean that we care about others' happiness or we wish them well on life's journey or we're going to give them grace so that we can maintain our own worth and dignity. We can think about the things we want to finish and remove from our lives and burn a paper with those items written down to symbolize a fresh start. We can also remember Janus and the beginnings and transitions represented by this Roman god. It is the time of year for us to look back and to look forward and to wish each other a happy new year. So I'll finish with a reading from Kathleen McTeague. The first of January is another day dawning, the sun rising as the sun always rises, the earth moving in its rhythms. With or without our calendars to name a certain day as the day of new beginning, separating the old from the new. So it is, everything is the same, bound into its history as we ourselves are bound. Yet also we stand at a threshold, the new year, something truly new, still unformed, leaving a stunning power in our hands. What shall we do with this great gift of time this year? Let us begin by remembering that whatever justice, whatever peace and wholeness might bloom in our world this year, we are the hearts and minds, the hands and feet, the embodiment of the, all the best visions of our people. The new year can be new ground for the seeds of our dreams. Let us take the step forward together onto new ground, planting our dreams well, faithfully, and in joy. Thank you.